Hello, everybody. It is I, Schmitty, with another episode of Talking Schmidt, the podcast that comes out every Tuesday. Today on the show, we have Joe Sib. The Sib, it stands for Sibiando. Joe grew up in Northern California. He says he was down at Winchester when Cab was just a wee little guy just ripping around. And, uh, you know, he spent his time living in Santa Cruz, later goes on to uh, start up Side One Dummy Records. And currently, the guy's a stand-up comedian, apparently. So, officially, my first stand-up comedian. I have two eighth grade diplomas. Uh, Maybe this opens the doors for the likes of Maria Bamford, Bill Burr, and eventually Dave Chappelle. I don't know. It'd be great, but we will see. I'd also like to talk about my wedding because I haven't spoken of that yet. Far out. Was it the greatest day of my life? Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laughter, love. We even had a Dodger fan there crying. Yeah. You had everything. You had a small, intimate group, all our parents, our loved ones, Redwood Cathedral. It was rad. Um, I got a ring. If you're watching this, you can see it right there. If you're listening, just know it's never coming off. I'm not claiming. Also, I want to give a big freaking shout out to the HMB driving range in Half Moon Bay. Shout out. They uh, hosted our welcome dinner, which was catered by Sam's Chowda. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I don't think so. Winner, winner, sheen dinner. And we had... Those freaking lobster rolls. I think Cranny had 13 or something like that was fucking popping while we were hitting golf balls left and right. The people that hosted it were awesome. They let us stay there probably an extra hour, hour and a half or something. It felt like. So I'm here to say that the light at the end of the tunnel got bright and I even put my sunnies on and they were heart shaped sunnies. So that was good. I got to give a shout out to, uh, Tim McKenney, obviously, because out. I miss the guy and uh, I love the guy. I got to give a shout out to these new hats that I'm wearing. Shout the out. Triple OG Talking Schmidt hats available now at talkingschmidt.com. And speaking of that, I want to give a shout out to these fine folk that were not afraid to go to talkingschmidt.com and support this podcast ladanza bear shout out mitchell neal justin lewis shout out shout out to dave bean shout out i gotta give a huge shout out to joe rodriguez shout out sean fulbear shout out and noel fior shout out nate ling shout out jamin os hamin os or Hamin Ose. Shout out. I'm not sure how you pronounce your name. I almost had the big one. Shout out to all y'all. Thank you so much. And please, we got new merch in the store. So get there while you can, as the burn dog would say, and order yours today. Moving right along. We are available in Canada, kids. Thanks to our friends at the Canadian Distribution platform distribution canada all you shops hit them up and help support up north eh? 
get up there and fucking crack a Labatt and buy some fucking Takin Schmidt, huh? You just influenced somebody. Hey, Japan, you already know underdog distribution is your spot. We were there before the Olympics and we'll be there after. Whoa, slow it down. Also, brand new to the distribution game, Talking Schmidt is available at AWH. I think if you go to their website today, you may see it just popping up as they're loading the product in. Yep. Super stoked on that. Uh, all the links are going to be in the description below. So help the show grow with a merch perch. Oh, and guess what, kids? We have a winner. Blood Wizard, Mami Tezuka, looked over the entrees. She liked the sushi. She loved the mochi balls. But for the Smith Grinds, ready? Drum roll, please. Cameron Schaefer, come on down. You're the winner of the Blood Wizard deck. It's Cameron Schaefer of Washougal, Washington. Cameron, look for your board in the mail probably next week. Going out tomorrow. Head on down to your local shop. Ask Blood Wizard Skateboards. Or visit bloodwizard.com. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. I got some grip tape I need to return and there's something wrong with this board I bought. I can't ollie on it. The thing won't ollie. Can't get off the fucking ground on this thing. I want a fucking refund. Ignition Skate Shop, 420 West Grant Street, Lancaster, PA. Oh, and before we start, let's chime in and hear what music Jagger's listening to these days. New rap and old country kind of just swirled up in this cocktail of good vibes. Oh, mama. Boom. Okay, let's get into it. Here's episode 129. Hey, this is Joe Sib, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn, isn't it? All big dogs in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I'd be shitting my pants. Glad. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? He thinks he's tough shit. What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? This here for Greg Smith. Yeah! What's up, everybody? So here's the deal. I'm scrolling through my Instagram and I come across this post that says, what happens when you only read Thrasher magazine? So I'm going to try and not use the words dude, bro, or rad this whole interview just to prove a point. (laughs) Wish me luck, kids. This is Joe Sib. (laughs) What's up, Joe? What's up, man? Thank you so much, dude, for having me. I'm stoked that uh, that that clip uh, got us together, man. 
Yeah. Um, well, I work at Thrasher and my first impression was kind of, you know, my reaction was at first you're a little defensive and you're wanting to like, okay, you want to go to battle, bro? And totally. then you do a little research and you're like, okay, this isn't some Johnny come lately that just jumped on the bandwagon to bring Thrasher in as this 2021 thing. So I was like, wait a minute. I've never interviewed a stand-up comedian. This could be a great opportunity. And I reached out and you were kind enough to do this. So I'm super hyped. Oh man. I was, uh, yeah, it's funny when, when I put that post out there, cause you know, I don't, I don't think about that because just like you and I, you know, we're both talking about growing up in the Bay area, you know, Thrasher has always been such a huge part. You know, I have the first issue, you know, like uh -huh. I was there at the Capitola classic as a little teeny Grom just standing there. And all of a sudden someone handed me this, issue of this magazine and i remember it was so big it was like what the hell is this you know and um so thrasher at that point you know just became kind of like our bible and then also growing up in northern california you know at that time you're a little kid so you didn't realize that this magazine was going everywhere you know it's not like it is today where like you know we go on our instagram and it's just like oh okay you know i'm gonna follow this person i'm gonna follow independent i'm gonna follow pal i'm gonna follow santa cruz you know, and, and, you're, and you're seeing and hearing different thoughts and comments from people all over the world. Back then, you know, when I was just a little kid, so Thrasher to me, I just always felt so connected to it, you know, my whole entire life. And, you know, obviously, you know, with, with Jake and, you know, his, I, I managed the Mighty Mighty Boston's for a really long time. So Dickie, the singer, was super tight with Jake. So it's just all these different connections um, from the Bay Area. But when I put that bit out, dude, it was funny because there were so many people that reacted like I would get DMs from people that are like, dude, I did not want to like you, but it's pretty true, dude. I mean, I'm the same way, man. Like people were like, I was like, oh man, I didn't expect that. And it was funny because I, I actually met a lot of people that were like, you know, like, dude, I'm a skater from here. I'm a skater from there. And like you said, when I saw that bit, I, I didn't want to like it. It's the same thing I am when, you know, you hear someone talk about punk rock and, and you're like, who is this dude? And then, you, you know, you, you Google it. And you're like, oh, yeah, dude, he was the original drummer in Blast. Oh, my God. OK, cool. Yeah. You're, you know, it's like, but uh, yeah. So it was funny how, you know, kind of combining comedy and my life into my bits. Right. So you were born where? So I was born on the East Coast, Philadelphia. Oh. And yeah, but never, never lived there. Just, you know, my parents made me there and then they got out and they moved to Santa Cruz. And I grew up Santa in the Santa Cruz. Yeah, I grew up in Santa Cruz Mountains, old San Jose Road, way out there in the middle of nowhere, bro. Like Aptos um, or? No, I'm talking like Santa Cruz, Redwood Trees. Like if you are in Boulder Creek? Like, no, kind of near Boulder Creek, but no, wait, not even near Boulder Creek. I'm talking like, um, so there was a ramp called the Summit Ramp. Do you remember that? The Summit yeah. Ramp that Craig Ramsey and all these heads had out there. So like, I was near that area. Like we literally, if you're, if you're on 41st Avenue and you go all the way down to SoCal Drive and you make a left and you just take it past SoCal High School and you just make a beeline as far as you can go, that's where my parents set up shop. They had five acres, they had a horse ranch. And their idea was to basically, you know, it was, it was the late set. It was the early sets. So like their idea was like, they, um, they were going to have people that lived in San Jose and outside areas. They would have a horse, but they didn't have anywhere to keep it. So my parents would take care of the horse during the week. And then these people from San Jose 
or people from San Francisco would come down and then they kind of camp out on our property and they'd ride horses all day. And then at night we'd have a big barbecue. It was a blast, you know? And, uh, and it was crazy because all of the people that worked on the ranch were all like surfers. So like the people that, you know, would come out and kind of clean the stalls, like, you know, they would live on our property and then they would surf and then they would work there. And it was, it was really cool. Like, you know, like Jack O'Neill's, um, daughter lived near us and at one point like jack o'neill like i remember like he like he flew hot air balloons and he like brought a hot air balloon over there and like it's a little kid i gotta like ride around you know in it um but the first my first real connection though was skating was and on this property because dude i was not into horses i was not into nature at all like i it was weird it was like my mom and dad they were so stoked that they were out in the middle of nowhere. And I was bummed. And I remember I got a hold of a skateboarder magazine and I was just like, it was at a Seven Eleven by my parents' house, by my, you know, somewhere out there in the middle of nowhere. And I remember I asked my dad to buy it for me. And it was like, it's like that first time you get like a Jack mag. You're just like, what is this? Just, <laughs> it was like, yeah, I was, that's the only thing I can compare it to where you're just like, do people really do this? Like you get hurt doing this, you know, like what the hell? And um, I just freaked out about it. And then I talked my dad into getting me a skateboard at Kmart on 41st Avenue. And it was a banana board with, you know, like, so, I mean, it was so victim. I mean, just so many slams on that thing. But it was, that was the gateway. Like I was so into skating and just, I would have, I had this one magazine and I had a banana board that had no kicktail. That's so, it was just like a piece of plastic that went to a point with these wheels that, you know, you can see the bearings in there, like just so cheap. And uh, I just, it was hook, line and sinker, man. I just, I just skated as much as I possibly could on this. We had a, we had a little piece of cement in, you know, on our ranch that like they parked tractors on and, you know, other gear for the, the property. And when that stuff was off of there, my, I would just skate around, skate around, skate around. And I just was so into it. And all these other kids were like, you know, riding mini bikes or horses. And I was just like in the skating was uh did you ever see that um what is it called so socal banks the socal banks yeah it was like dude i didn't get to skate it but it was like just finishing kind of when i started skating but uh i mean there was like keith meek and tommy oh, you, mean the, you mean the skate park that like that like those tr and all those it, dudes it was, lived yeah yeah there was like a little yeah i never so at that point so for me it for santa cruz it went like this it went like that like my parents ended up getting divorced and right before they ended up getting divorced, there was a dude that was a dentist that lived like a couple acres away. And he, I would go over there all the time uh, to play with his kids. And at one point he was working on one of the dudes teeth from NHS, either Novak, Howard or Schmidt, one of those dudes. I don't know which dude it was, uh -huh. but he, he shows me, he goes, look, look what I got. And it's a Santa Cruz fiberglass, with, a, you know, the black grip tape down the middle. They reissued them recently. Uh -huh. And uh, they reissued them recently and uh, had ACS gold trucks, Road Rider 2s, and, um, and you know, a blue board. And, I, and he shows it to me. It's like, what do you think of this? And I'm like, I mean, dude, I'm like, I'm riding this plastic victim, you know, break every bone in your body machine. And all of a sudden he shows me a real board. And I remember he says, hey, I'll give you this board if you, you know, work and chores around my pad, like, you know, mow the lawn, do this, do that, you know, cause he had daughters and they weren't down for it. And I remember this dude had me work. 
I mean, looking back on it, I think he had me work like a whole year for this thing, dude. And I didn't even care. And he would, and sometimes I'd say, Mr. DeWitt, can I look at it? And he would open his trunk and he would just show me the board and then put it back in. Like I never got to ride it. It was so brand new. And then I remember it, I finally got done with everything he needed. He gave me the board. And that was the turning point because then at that point, it was right around the same time my parents separated. So my mom moved into Capitola. My dad moved over to the Hill of San Jose, which ended up being the best for me because he ended up moving, uh, you know, like, I don't know, maybe two miles away from Winchester Skate Park. So that's oh. how I, you know, that was the turning point for me. But but before that, now I'm living in Capitola. And at that point, like Meekster and all those dudes, they're older than me. So like I could, you know, I obviously would see them, but like they were older dudes. And um, SoCal Skate Park, I think at that point had already ended and they were just mm-hmm. kind of living there and people were skating that one run. But my, my go, my first go-to um, skate park to ever go to was this park that was actually, it was just a run and it was over at the Santa Cruz Yacht Harbor. And it, it wasn't Derby. It was, it was this other run that um, it just, it just went, it was so, it's such a trip. There was, it wasn't, it was just a blacktop run that went all the way down with a couple of speed bumps. And at the end there was a bank and you just mm. kind of roll, you rode down the hill, went over the banks, did a big, you know, backside or frontside car. And that was it. And you run back up the hill and you do it again. Mm. And then you know, I, I, I would go there with my mom, dad, you know, or my dad at that point. And then, um, then as, um, I got older and, you know, all of a sudden, and this is such a trip cause you're in Santa Cruz. So it's like, how, you know, it, 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 even it seems so big, but it was so small. Then all of a sudden, you know, you hear from different buddies, Hey man, there's this place called Derby. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that point it was behind, behind Harmony Foods, I think. And that was like the house, um, this other company that they had. And, um, you know, you, you took, like, it felt like you took the bus all day to get there. And then all of a sudden you climbed through this fence and you're like, oh my gosh, what the hell is this? And then that was, you know, Derby. And that's, I think that's where I actually met Meekster because, and, you know, he just, he ripped that place. Like I'd never seen like that type of skating, like firsthand, you know? And I think, I think at that same time too, I was, that's when I started going to, you know, when my dad started taking me to uh, Winchester skate park. So I was, you know, going between my mom's house Damn. and my dad's house. And, uh, you know, I just, I was, I always say, man, I was so fortunate, man. I was in just the right place at the right time when like with skating, you know, I got I got to get the tail end of Winchester skate park. So like, mm. you know, getting to, to witness Stevie, you know, like in, in his whole career, yeah. you know, like I was there the day that like, that, that famous photo of him doing that frontside invert for action now. Like I was there watching him shoot that. I, I actually was there once when Stacy Peralta came up and, and was there like to see Stevie. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I was really good friends with the owner of the skate park, this guy named Wolfman. And his brother ends up becoming my best friend, this guy named Buddy Peterson. Yeah. And him and I are still friends to this day. That's where I met Reeps, Corey O'Brien, Gavin O'Brien, Graham. Um, you know, the, I didn't, I wasn't tight with the dudes, but like John Insco. And like, um, you know, all that, those crew, uh, and then, uh, but the guys I really, my crew that I stayed friends with to this day were the O'Brien brothers, uh, Rick Moody Reeps and, uh, Buddy Peterson and, uh, Steve Caballero. Like I, you know, I, I, Stevie came to one of my shows with dude, craziest thing ever. Stevie and Mike McGill both showed up to my show <laughs> in San Diego. And I was like, are there really two bones brigade members here? No way. Like I just, I like, while I'm doing my set, I'm just looking over at them and I'm just like, there's no way, there's no way. Like I'm just looking at Miguel. 
And I'm like, dude, like, this is crazy. And then they said this to me, dude, Tony would have been here, but he took a slam today. It was when he took that slam over the 4th oh, of July weekend. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. That's rad. Yeah, yeah. Full circle, right? Dude, full circle. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. I missed Winchester too. And of course the folklore is heavy for that one. Um, do you know, are you, did you know MoFo or any of those? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the first time I ever saw MoFo, he's, uh, he's at Winchester skate park and I kind of see him before he turns into like the thrasher photographer that he, that, that he turned up. Like the first time I ever see MoFo, I want to say he has like a killer flat top pair of Levi's on. And at the time, I don't know what they're called, but these shoes that I was like, what are those? And they were creepers, you know? And I was oh. just like, damn dude this is rad because punk rock that was the other thing is that i was just like you know just at the same time skating was at that era you know it was when punk rock hit hit suburbia so Mm. you know guys like mofo and um you know like then of course you know um i met you know kevin thatcher you know he was he was always one of those kind of dudes that was around he was always super super nice to me I, i remember years later um, you know, after I just immersed myself in punk rock and skating, there was a, um, there was a Capitola classic contest. And I remember it was the, it was the street one. It was the one I think Tommy Guerrero wins mm. and they had street ramps. They had taken it from a downhill contest. Originally every year they would come to Santa Cruz yeah. be a downhill contest. And as a kid, you know, like I said earlier, that was where I got my first rash on magazine. But uh-huh. at this point, uh, they go from, it being downhill slalom because everyone was pretty much you know done with that. All of a sudden they go, Hey, we're going to make it a street contest. And I remember every head showed up, dude. I mean, yeah. It was Mark one of the, Gonzalez, oh my God. I remember. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was so rad. And then that day at this point now, I'm probably like 17 years old, you know, and we're just raging at this contest. And that contest goes to, Hey man, we're bringing a few cakes over to Derby. Everyone goes to Derby after that contest. And it's just, the most insane session, you know, everyone, you know, every skater that you, every skater at that time that was still skating is still a pro goes to Derby. And then now everyone's just sessioning there. And then after that, someone gets the idea like, dude, let's take this to Montague. And there was this, there was these banks in San Jose called Montague banks. I'm oh, sure yeah. you've heard of them. You yeah. probably skated them. And I remember the, um, everyone had the idea of like, dude, let's bring this party there because it was in the industrial area. And once you got there, no one knew you were there. There was no one going to call the cops because you were out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember we showed up and these, these, these brothers from Milwaukee, the Bodwin brothers, um, all these Milwaukee cats were out there and they were driving this school bus around and they took the school bus to Montague and we set the school bus up. Me and my bro went and uh, went and rented a generator because we were like, dude, we can't have a party without tunes. You know, we can't have a car, you know, and we show up. I remember I rented a generator on my dad's credit card, uh, which I later turned in the generator. Didn't know you're supposed to put oil in those things when you're running them. <laughs> totally seized the engine. And I remember we just showed up and gave it back and I got the credit card back. Uh, but needless to say, we showed up Montague and, and the Bowden brothers, they got the, they got the bus right there. And all of a sudden it was just like an impromptu contest. And I remember oh. I was a singer in, a, in my first band. So like I brought the speaker to play the music out of, but I had a mic and I remember total improv contest and, and it, all these heads, Josoy, 
Um, you know, obviously cab, you know, everyone's there, dude. And it's just, people are just, I remember how Soy was doing these board slides where he would do these board slides for just, just, it felt like, you know, a hundred feet and he would take off his back foot. So styling, yeah. you know, no shirt on it's nighttime, no shirt, still rocking, no shirt. You know, mm-hmm. he's just ripping everyone's skating. And then, um, basically all these, um, guys, it was Joel Gomez, Craig Ramsey, Kevin and Kevin Thatcher announced it. And like, they, yeah. we put them all on the top of the bus and we had the generator going and they announced it out of this, the, um, they announced it out of my little PA and it, it was just, you know, kegs, beer flowing so many just oh, awesome. Man. Yeah. It was so like that to me was, I feel like I was so fortunate to be in a time when skating and punk rock and the attitude of punk rock and like, just that, like anything's possible attitude, you know, could happen. And, you know, the whole tie in was like, I remember Kevin Thatcher from him meeting me when I was a little kid at Winchester and then seeing me at punk shows. And then all of a sudden we're doing this Montague thing. He was just always just so cool to me. And later on when I was in my band and like they did a little story on wax and like thrasher, yeah. that was like a huge deal for me. So like, yeah, yeah. Kevin Thatcher, all those heads. Right passage. Super cool. Totally. Um, were you more like a Montague banks? Was that your spot or like there was some epic spots down there? Fish banks, Montague banks, Memorex, Dell's wall. To name I, was a few. All, I was all, I was all about Montague, you know, Montague. fish banks. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember going to that, but the thing I loved about Montague was like, you know, I went there, um, I used to go there with reaps, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it was one of those kind of things where like, you would just, you know, if there wasn't something going on and it felt like during the summer, we would go there so much because if there wasn't a show to go to, or if we weren't at a party, you'd go to Montague, you know, you could post up there with a 12er skate all night. And, and, you know, sometimes it might be a heavy session with a ton of people. And then sometimes it just might be, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 people. And just, I loved skating that spot. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Cause it was in an industrial area. So you were off radar. Like totally. it wasn't in a park or something where there's neighbors going to complain. You were just out there. And I remember people ran it tight. Like I remember like Gavin O'Brien and those dudes, you know, if you mm-hmm. came out there and drank and you didn't, you know, get rid of you, like the whole thing was those dudes were making it like, if you're going to come here, cool, but you bet you have to make it like no one was ever here because what we didn't want to have happen right. was, you know, the people that work there all of a sudden go, Hey man, I just went out to the garbage bins and there's, it's all full of beer bottles. You know, they would figure out real quick, Hey man, something's going on here on the weekends. And I remember the O'Briens were, I'm pretty sure they, they were definitely making that, that make it run tight out there. They didn't, you know, they didn't want that spot to be discovered. But then obviously when we had the contest there, the cow was out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, does, I, f- I forgot to ask you, does Sib, is that short for something or is yeah. that real? Yeah, my last name's really Subiondo. So it's, oh. yeah, so my last name's Subiondo, S-U-B-B-I-O-N-D-O. But when I moved to San Jose from Santa Cruz, um, it was on super short notice. And um, I moved in with my father. And um, at that point, um, he I just needed to go to this. I, you know, he was like, I moved in with him on a Friday. He had me enrolled in uh, Westmont High School in Campbell by Monday. And I remember at that point, coming from Santa Cruz, you know, punk rock for me was like a pair of Levi's, you know, some Converse to like a flannel, mm-hmm. you know, very NorCal vibe. And then when I got to San Jose, it was the first time I ever saw like, like at this high school, like spiky hair, and you know, charged hair and like, 
you know, like leather jackets and, you know, and like creepers. And I was like, whoa, this is totally different than like anything. I mean, I looked like a punk disorderly cover had come to life. I'm like, wow. And I remember there was this kid there and this girl says, hey, you know, it's like the first break of the day. And she's like, do you want to do I remember She says, do you like punk rock? And I go, well, yeah, I mean, like a chocolate donut. She's like, do you want to meet other people that like punk rock? All right. So I walked over to this zone where all these like dudes in like Zeppelin and Judas Priest shirts are hanging out. And then on the other side, it was all, it's all punkers. And this one kid rolled up on me and he recognized me from Winchester. He's like, Oh man, I met you. What's up? And we start talking. And then a bunch of people, Hey, this is Joseph Yonder. This is Joseph Yonder. And this one dude, I'll never forget. He had like no, he had like a leather jacket on and like no shirt and like docks on and, Either he had, I think he had a mohawk and he goes, Hey man, what's your name? And I'm like, Oh, I'm Joseph Biondo. He's like, ah, oh, dude, I'm Terry Root. And I'm like, yeah, cool. He's like, oh, you're Joseph. I'm like, no, 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 it's Subiondo, S-U-B-B. And he's like, nah, dude, you're Joseph. And like, you know, how do you argue with the guy with no shirt on at 9am in the morning? Like, okay, cool. I guess I'm Joseph. <laughs> and then I remember that first weekend I made some friends and they came over to the house and they were looking for Joseph. And my dad's like, Joe who? Oh. And he's all, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, you got a nickname, Joey. And I'm like, yeah. And he's all, don't worry. Nicknames never last. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So to this day, I still got it. So was that kind of what drew you into um, the punk rock thing? Like, do you remember what your first uh, band, record, show, any of that stuff was? Oh, absolutely, like, dude. How you got like, wait, I'm I'm more than just kind of in. I'm all in. I'm all in, yeah. Um I would say this for me being at Winchester skate park was the, where it all changed because okay. coming from Santa Cruz, I don't listen to my parents' music. I only knew what they listened to. And they, they had a great taste in music because, you know, being out there on the ranch, I at those parties would be the kid that DJ my, my cousin who was 10 years older, he was the bartender and I was the DJ and we basically ran the party. So at a young age, I had to learn like, you know, you can go from Ray Charles into an Elton John track. And, you know, from that, you can go into maybe a Sinatra track, you know, like I had to mix it up. Yeah. Um, but at that moment, I'd only knew their music. You know, I thought the village people were cool. I thought Abbott was cool. I mean, I was like, cool. yeah, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I always tell people, I mean, now, you know, but back then I didn't, you know, I didn't, I'd never heard any. I hadn't even heard ACDC or uh, any heavy music, Zeppelin, any of that stuff. So when I go to Winchester, I remember it was right towards the end of, you know, Boston and Van Halen one getting played. And all of a sudden I go there and I remember the first time I heard it was, um, it was uh, the Buzzcocks hollow inside. And I remember just going, what is this? And then from there was uh, Black Flag. And then, and then from there was uh, The Germs. And then obviously The Clash of the Ramones, all that. And I remember as much as I, you know, the, I was so heavily into skating at that point because it was just, I'd go every weekend to my dad's house and I would just go to the park and, and just skate as much as I possibly could. I'd stay, my dad would drop me off sometimes at like 10 in the morning, pick me up after he got off of work. I'd eat dinner with him and then he would be looking at me and he goes, you want to go back, don't you? And I'm like, dad, cause there's going to be a night session. And then at nighttime was when you got to see all the heavies come out, like Bob to you know, that's where I saw Mofo. That's where you see, uh, obviously Caballero, Norman Poon, um, you know, all the, uh, all these, 
know, the Gifford, you know, Gifford would skate, you know, all the heavies that were the rippers. Um, I think at that point, Blackheart had already got kicked out. So I didn't get to see him skate, but all the heavies would come out at night and I, and I would just sit. It was like going to school because you would just see these guys just ripping the keyhole. And um, that was so far out of my league. So I would just, and then the music they were playing just was all this heavy stuff. And then the other thing was, is that I remember there was about six or seven real straight up punk rockers that walked into the park once. And it was about six of these guys. And I think it was like four guys, two girls. And they walked in and that was the first time, like, you know, I'd seen like, well, this is like this. It was, yeah, it was like the, the it's, it was, it's no different than the first time you see like someone do a, do, do like a frontside invert or like a frontside rock and roll. You're like, how is that even possible? And then for me, visually seeing like real punk rockers, maybe just going, what's that all about? And I just, it just turned into like skateboarding and punk rock. And that, that, and then at that moment, dude, from like, I mean, from like then until like, like right now, it's just been the same thing. It's just like music, skating, music, surfing. And uh, that, that just was, that was the game changer for me. I was in, you know, it it went from, it went from like, yeah, I'm kind of into this to like, you know, all that I wanted to do at that time was skate and go to a show. I just wanted to see every band. First band I ever saw was Social Distortion. Yeah, 1982. 1982, San Jose City College. Uh, Craig Ramsey put on the show. I didn't, you know, he sold me my ticket to go to the show. I didn't even, the way he sold me the ticket is, uh, you know, for your listeners, like Craig Ramsey was this, this guy from the Bay area and he was super tight with all the people we've been mentioning. He was, and he was just a really smart dude. He managed the faction for a little while. He was this older guy that went to San Jose state, older skater. And, and he was just such a super cool guy too. Like he was just always like, he was an old, like almost like an older brother. And, um, he, I remember, um, was putting together the social distortion show. I remember I was at this place called the Newport house and I, he goes, Hey man, are you going to go to see social distortion? And I'm like, uh, and you know, I'm a little kid. I'm like, I don't know what they sound like. And he literally sing, sung me. He's like, dude, Adam bomb TNT. I'm like, Whoa. And he's like, mommy's <laughs> little monster. He's saying, he's saying the tunes. Like, no different than, like, imagine you're like, hey, man, what does this band sound like? You go on Spotify now. Oh, yeah, it's a cool track. Imagine yeah. a human being saying, hey, man, you got to come to this. What does it sound like? And they sing you out of their mouth to your ear, the jams. Yeah. And they nail them so good that you're like, yeah, dude, I'll take that ticket. And I remember I got the ticket. And I want to say that was the Faction's first show. I'm almost positive that was their first show. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, it was, like, the Faction. And, of course, probably, I'm sure, like, Los Amidados might have been on the show, which that was like my, I can't even, that, if you said to me, like, you're my favorite band from that era of San Jose, Northern California, Los Amidados, hands down, that was the band. I'm still say. looking for something uh, new. So good. So good. <laughs> Ray Stevens, Mike Fox, yeah. Mike Fox, Matt, that was, that, those were, that was my band. Like, I love the faction. I, you know, total, you know, mad respect for the faction, mad respect for Ribsy, you know, unaware, all these bands from that era. But yeah. for me, it always comes down to Los Sabidados. I, uh-huh. I still listen to Los Sabidados, like, it, it, you know, every, at least three, four times a year, I'll get fired up and put them on. But yeah, that's definitely, that was for, definitely the band for me. For punk rock nerds, is Los Sabidados 
basically drunk engines with a different singer. Yeah. Basically what you had was, so you had the drunk engines and dude, check this out. This trips me out. Cause I, so, I mean, Mofo, obviously for me, like drunk engines has always been my gravitational. Absolutely. And then, and then Los Olvidados, I got into, it kind of was reverse for me. Like, right. Yeah. So for me, so for <clears> the, the, for, for, you know, for me, it's like, obviously drunk engines, amazing. You know, Mofo, uh, you know, I used to love, you know, him, just his voice, so different. So, yeah. like, you, you know, when you hear when you hear Drunk Engines, you know it's Drunk Engines. Um, with Los Avidados, the thing that I recently found out, because I went to visit my mom and, and uh, you know, in Santa Cruz, and, you know, every time I go up there, me and Meekster get together, and we always say, let's get coffee, and it ends up, me and Keith Meeks, we, we end up sitting there for like three hours just, you know, talking and sharing stories. And I never knew this. Meekster was the original singer for Los Avidados. He was going to be the singer for Los O. Yeah. No he met, yeah. He met Mike Fox and Mike Boss. And they were like, dude, we're going to start a band. You're going to be the singer. And then he lived, he was living in Santa Cruz. He came over a couple of times to rehearse in San Jose. It never really happened. And then Mike Voss moved over to vocals and, Los Avidados was born, but yeah, Los Avidados, uh, to me, that was just the band that like, they had great songs and, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, Mike Fox was a skater. Ray Stevens was a skater. They were just, mm-hmm. you know, Ray Stevens, you know, he was, he was the guy, man, you know, yeah. still is, you know, still is. Yeah. Those guys are really impressive too. And how many projects they participate uh, in, like constantly. Ray's been in like 5 billion bands. And, totally. So it's Ray always- D- yeah, Ray, Ray, DJ, Ray, he does yeah. everything. You know, he's yeah. the best. RS1, RS2, RS3. Dude, the best. <laughs> um, for me, I went to, um, I was a suburban kid, grew up in, I was born in Rose City, grew up in San Carlos, and um, I was going to Sequoia High School, and I was sophomore year, skateboarding already, met these kids that were freshmen. They took me to the new varsity in Palo Alto. Oh. I saw aggression, suicidal tendency, ill repute. I was at that show, dude. I think it it might have been one of the last shows there where like somebody did a stage dive and they missed him and he broke his face, right? Or something. Uh, I mean, all, all it was 1985. Yeah. I know yeah. that for sure. And that was the first time suicidal came up to the Bay Area. And you remember, I remember as a kid going to that show, first of all, loved Dale Repute, loved aggression. I mean, yeah. Bob from aggression. Oh I mean, my that's God. my first show, and I'm so proud of it because it oh. was pure accident. It was uh, just like you said, do you want to go see a punk show? I guess so. Sure. And yeah. from that moment, every Friday we were going somewhere. Oh, totally. And that's yeah. how it kind of was, you know, at that point too, because it wasn't, you know, bands weren't touring to make a living. Bands were touring just to do shows. So like, I remember that night when social, when, when social, when suicidal tendencies came up for that show, that was the first time that they had come to the Bay area. And I remember it was the first band that ever came up and brought a crew with them from their hometown. And I don't mm. know if you remember this, all of their crew was on stage while suicidal was playing. Yeah. And, and they were like, that. yeah, they rolled like that. Like no one had really done that yet. Like later on that became a thing. Like, you know, if a band was on stage, they kind of had their crew behind, not their crew, but like the people that were tight with them standing on stage. And not mm-hmm. that it was like a flexing a muscle type of thing of like, Hey, check us out. We're rad. But it was more like, I remember when suicidal came all of, all of us from San Jose and all of us from the Bay area, we were like, wow, like, there's there's the dudes in the band and then there's all these other dudes behind them that look like they could be in the band and i remember everyone was cool they were all hanging out because i remember at that point too with suicidal 
Um, those dudes were uh, were tight with the O'Briens because the first time I ever heard Suicidal Tendencies anywhere uh, I was over at Corey O'Brien and Gavin O'Brien's house. They were like, check this out, you know? Mm. And I was like, whoa, what's this all about? So by the time Suicidal got up there, that first record had come out, everyone was into it. But for me, <clears throat> I remember that night specifically because Ill Repute from Oxnard, Aggression from Oxnard, those yeah, um, Tony from Ill Repute, I still stay mm. in touch with. And, um, and right. Bob from Aggression was, I met him when I was a little punker up at Ruthie's Inn. And he just, that whole, that, for, that record of Tense Energy, man, I mean, once That's again. So good. So that's interesting. So my point and question, I guess, is growing up in the peninsula, I had the middle, kind of the midway point of like, do I go to San Jose? Do I go to San Francisco? Do I go to Berkeley? They're all equidistant. And I somehow not really consciously chose SF. We had a bus route that dropped us right off at the farm. Oh, the farm was great. The the farm was really one of the main places. I mean, I I tell this story all the time, but I was like, I literally think verbal abuse and DRI played every Friday. And then there was like three other bands with them. That's how it felt, but I'm sure it wasn't exactly like that. But um, what were you, obviously you're in San Jose, you're probably going to San Jose a lot, but like, I didn't really go to Ruthie's in, in the East Bay too much. Were you there more than for uh, me, man, for, No, I would say this man for me, it was the farm. no, for me, it was, for me, it went, it started out the on Broadway. So I, I went like this. I went, I, the, you know, first started going to San Francisco to see the, go to the on Broadway. First time I ever go to the on Broadway is the first time they exploited, I think in 81 or 82, come over to, um, it was the same year that the same time I saw um, that first social distortion show. So oh, the first time I go to the, the first time I ever go to the on Broadway is to see the exploited. And then I go to that show and that's at the on Broadway. Then underneath the on Broadway is a club called the map. I start, but I couldn't get yeah, into the map because you had 21 and over. Yeah. So you had to be 21 and over to get in there. But I had this fake ID that said I was in the military and I was like 25, but I was 17 with braces. So I don't know how that, I don't think I would let me in. So then what ends up happening is what ends up happening for me is I just start, um, I just start going to the on Broadway and the map and I meet these kids from Berkeley and we would just come up on a Friday and we would spend Friday night, Saturday night, and then go home on Sunday and just go to shows either in Berkeley or, or in San Francisco. That's how I met Jim Thebo, you know, just running around, you know, on Broadway with him and and all those cats. So then after that kind of shut down, then the next era was the farm. And that's where, you know, that's where I spent, you know, then at this point I'm in a band called frontline and we did those shows we're talking about with verbal abuse. We did so many of those shows, you know, we, uh, yeah, I was in a band called frontline and we would we we would open for verbal abuse all the time. We ended up our first tour that we ever got in the United States was with verbal abuse. It was with right Scotty when, or yeah, with Scotty. It was uh, with Scotty. That's my. I mean, no disrespect, but for me, Scotty and VA rocks your little. Oh, dude, that's the record. So important. Yeah, that's the record. <laughs>
I ended up meeting, that was when I ended up meeting, uh, you know, like, so the manager at that point that ran the farm was this guy named Paul Ratt. And I don't know if he managed, I don't know if he managed um, verbal abuse, but he managed our band. So we just ended up doing so many shows with verbal abuse. And like I said, the first tour we ever got was right when the A-Rockers Liver came out. And um, we did a whole tour. I remember it was uh, verbal abuse. Uh, headlining and us supporting Frontline in uh, all of Texas. It was only Texas. And for some reason, it was like this tour that lasted like a month in Texas. And of course, we went there in August and it was just a million degrees. But all we did though, dude, it was so rad. All we did was like back then, you know, you'd show up at the venue and half of the shows got canceled. You know, it's like you would show up in El Paso. Yeah, show's canceled. You play a house party. You know, we didn't care. It was all that we cared about was like, you get to the place where you're going to, you know, whatever city you were in, first thing you do is find a skate shop, show up at the skate shop and just be like, yo, you know, we're, we're frontline we're from San Jose. Oh, really? You know, kid be in the shop. What's up? Dude, yeah. any place to skate, they take you to a ramp, skate. Yeah. After you skate the ramp, all right, we got the punk show tonight. Let's go. And that, that was, that was enough. Like there was, I don't even remember, you know, ever, it was never about like, Hey man, how much money are you getting paid? Well, we have enough gas money. It was just like, get enough cash to get us to the next city so that we can go to the skate shop, find a ramp, find a place to stay and do the show. And like, that yeah. was how we spent the time on the road. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I always say is before Instagram and hashtags and all this stuff, there were skate shops and that's how you network. That's how you built these friends in real life, in real time. And they're still around. So let's support them because skate shops are so fucking important. You know, totally. like, dude, like you said, like that was it. It was like skate spots. They got them cool dudes to take you there. They got them. And then you see those dudes in the crowd at night because you made these relationships and you're rocking for them. Yeah. And it's just a complete day. And then you leave and it's like, what better day is that with like new bros? Like oh. that's, you know, so many of the bros, so many of the bros, that, so many of the friends that I still have to this day, I met at shows, you know, like I remember the first time Agent Orange ever came to the on Broadway, oh, first time they ever yeah. came up. And it was like, I remember in the audience that night, you know, like that, you know, obviously I knew MoFo, MoFo was taking photos that night. Uh -huh. um, I remember Bryce Knights was there. We were in the pit together. You know, I knew Bryce from, you know, seeing him through skating. Um, like I said, like Thebo, like Thebo and I, like, you know, when I think about, you know, in, in Jim Thebo, obviously, you know, to, to your viewers, you know, he's Jim Thebo and, you know, his, his identity and what he's done in skateboarding is just so, you know, insane. But, you know, for me, whenever, you know, Jim and I talk or we get on the phone, it's, it's me and him. I just can't help but think about me and him running around on Broadway together and, you know, him going to San Jose State, me going to like De Anza, and we both were skaters, but also like how much we loved like Youth Brigade. Like that was our band, you know, we would just like, we loved that band Youth Brigade. Like I turned 16 at a Youth Brigade show, you know, like that was our band, you know, and, and obviously, you Operation know, Ivy. yeah, you know, but like it, it, for, for him and I, man, it, you know, I just, the, the thing that's crazy is you meet, you know, you meet these people and you stay friends, you know, and, and I'm friends with people that I went to high school with, you know, and I'm friends with different people that I went to college with, but like the friendships I have with the people I met in skateboarding, like you know, just yesterday I was talking to my friend, you know, Buddy Peterson, who was, you know, uh, Wolfman's you know, younger brother from Winchester. I mean, him and I have been friends since we were in sixth grade, you know, um, 
you know, when I go to, when I go home, you know, I'll still, you know, Meekster, Joel Gomez, Corey O'Brien, Gavin O'Brien, like these are all people that I met through skateboarding. These are all people I met through music. And it's, it's, it's definitely, I feel so fortunate because I don't know if other people have those type of relationships through a sport they met, like I'm sure if you're really into baseball or you're into football or basketball, maybe you played with different people. And I've heard those types of stories, but for me, this right. bonding over this four wheels, two trucks and a, a piece of wood, it's just, you know, it's, it feels almost like magical, you know, and then also you throw this music into it and then you have that to kind of be the backdrop to it. And then the touring and, and going on the road and the, and the mutual experiences. And then yeah. it just kind of, it, to me, I, I still, to this day, I'm like, it just feels like Forrest Gump. Like, did that really happen? You know? It, it, I mean, looking back with our wisdom, you have to just say that we were very fortunate to be in the right area at the right time. Clearly. Oh. I mean, like you said, like the first time, the exploited comes to NorCal and you're there because that's what you're doing. I mean, it wasn't like a foreseen thing. Like I have to get there, you know? Um, Dude, I didn't even know. I didn't even, I only knew one song from them and I just knew, I was like, okay, I'll go. I had a ride. Um, You know, that same time, you know, later on, you know, I was like right place at the right time. First time GBH ever came to America. I was there, you know, I got to see GBH first time they came to the on Broadway, Peter Tessie mm. Davies first time they came, the addicts the first time they came, um, English dogs the first time they came, you know, mm. I was just so into music going to shows. And also like the thing for me too, was I wasn't like, I wasn't a heavy drinker. I wasn't into drugs. So like, I really was into the music. Like I would pay whatever, you know, later on, you know, when I did start drinking beers, you know, and I figured out, Oh, I don't have to pay the full amount. Like I can come in later. I figured that out. But like, I was so into seeing every single band. I just nerded out on it so much. Like I remember, you know, the first time, the, you know, when minor threat came through on that one tour, they did a show at the on Broadway, you know, I was there, but I remember the bill that night, you know, it was this band called America's hardcore, which was, I only saw them one time and they made such an impression on me that night. They killed it. Then it was seven seconds as a three-piece youth brigade in the minor threat. Wow. And yeah. And it was just one of those nights that is just in brain, just burned onto my brain. And it, it all came from a love of skateboarding, which in return introduced me to kids to turn me on to a love of music. And then moments like that where it just all came together and you're just like, you know, you, at the moment you don't realize, Oh my God, this is so amazing. But later on you're like, wow. And it really shaped my life. Like I really, you know, I always tell people like, you know, when I heard Sham 69, if the kids are united, they'll never be divided. Like I really believed it. Like it wasn't just like a moment for me. It wasn't just a phase. Uh, I really took it to heart. And, and I really feel like, you know, that really kind of, that definitely shaped the, the direction I was going to go in for the rest of my life. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have started singing in bands. I wouldn't have started, you know, wax. I wouldn't have sang in 22 Jacks. I wouldn't have started side one dummy records. I wouldn't have gotten into comedy. My, you know, like everything is a true reflection of those youth shaping years because they, you know, they really kind of, they say that you really are, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, right around the time you're like, you know, they say like 13, 14 years old, you're kind of, shaped in kind of who you're going to be. Like, I mean, obviously as we get older, 
things that aren't important, you're like, okay, I get it now. That's not important. And you and you change, but kind of your, I think like maybe your morals and like who you are as a human being, like, are you going to be a dude that like burns people? Are you going to be a dude that, you know, is a bad guy? You know, like I think mm-hmm. right around that time, you kind of make that decision inside internally who you're going to be. And I would say for me, punk rock music and the skaters that I hung around definitely influenced me on what type of adult I was going to be. Like I knew I wanted to do something that was, that was, that meant something that had a purpose. I didn't know what it was, but like, you know, and to me putting out music or, you know, being in a band had a purpose. You were bringing something to the table. And I think growing up in the Bay area for me, I looked around and I saw guys like Kevin Batchers that were like, they're like, dude, this guy runs a magazine. Then I saw dudes like Bryce Knight, this guy's a photographer. Then I saw dudes like, you know, Cap, this guy's, you know, he's a professional skateboarder. He's seeing the world, you know, they're, they're bringing something to the table. They're working hard. And that really had a, a huge effect on me. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. Um, I, I, Fuck, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. I wanna I wanna get to the stand-up stuff, but there's a few other obviously the the music stuff super important to me and and we have to talk about wax for sure. Like what what how did that all start? What year was that around? So wax is um I left San Jose and NorCal in 90 and I came down to LA. Uh-huh. And I basically like for me, it was one of those kind of things where it just it had just run its course. You know, I graduated from college and I think I was I was about 23 years old. Um, the band I was playing in at that point had ended. They went on to do, you know, they were doing different types of style of music. I was, you know, I was just in this in-between phase. Like I just didn't, you know, like punk rock had morphed into metal. I wasn't a metal guy. You know, it's like it was like, you know, bands were definitely going down the road of like heavier metal sounding. And that really wasn't like where I was going. So then I kind of found myself in a situation where I was like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, like what's, Mm. what's my plan. And I had a buddy of mine that lived in Los Angeles and he worked at slash records. Uh, he great guy. His name's Brian Ray. He did that book, uh, uh, the book about, uh, fucked up and photocopied. Have you ever seen that book? It's all the flyers. No, check it out. It's called fucked up and photocopied. Okay. Um, and he made he did that first book a couple of years back and now he's doing a bunch of different work with a bunch of different artists and super talented guy. But at this point he right. was just working at slash records. He was, you know, just a dude that was, you know, working in the warehouse and he basically had a conversation with me. I was in San Jose and he was just like, dude, what are you doing in San Jose? Like your band's over, your chick bailed you you know, you're done. He's like, you know what? There's nothing left there for you anymore. You know, if you, but if you want, man, you can come down and stay on my couch and I'll give you one month on my couch. If you, if you, you know, if you want, you'll figure it out. If you don't, you go back to San Jose, but I'll give you one month on my couch. And I remember I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I drove down, I packed every, I had a Ford Escort and I packed everything in it that I had. And at that point, all I had was like a boom box, a skate, you know, a leather jacket. And that was it. And I was like, all right, I'm out. And I drove it. I drove to Hollywood and I remember, um, I got to his pad and that was just like an eye opening experience because that moment I was just like, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? I remember I rolled into his apartment like the first night he's having this party. And I'm like, dude, no way. It's the bass player from Jane's addiction. The dudes from fishbone. Like what? Like I was so like, what the hell? This is insanity. And, you know, I started hanging with him 
but like he was like you know so far advanced i was i was still wearing a hat backwards with like an indie shirt on i was just like what the you know and I, I was just like you know i gotta figure this out and i remember uh I ended up, you know, at first, you know, I get the job and trying to find a roommate. And then after I kind of got situated, I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to start a new band. I want to, you know, that's why I'm here. And I ended up uh, seeing this ad that this band was looking, uh, they had a drummer and guitar player and, or they're a drummer that was looking for a band and I was looking for a drummer. And I reached out to these dudes and it was the three dudes from Wax. It was Loomis uh, Birdie and uh, Soda, and um, they they actually were looking for a singer, and they're like, "Hey man, you know, come up, let's hang out." Mm-hmm. You know, like we we live here. Where do you live? I'm like, "Oh, dude, I'm a couple streets away." So I remember I went up there, walked in, and it was just like all these dudes from Chicago, and right away, once again, bonded over skateboarding because one of them had a sessions. Um, there was a session shirt or something. I was like, "Oh, dude, my friend Joel Gomez," and they're like, "Oh man, Dan Fields from Chicago." Huh is like you know he's 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 doing his sessions in chicago i was like oh dude joel's my bro and they're like who's joel and i'm like well, he's the guy that started sessions oh wow and then all of a sudden you know we bond over that That's you know amazing. we come up a couple drinks before we knew it you know let's rehearse let's write some songs and um i remember we wrote like six songs we didn't have a name for the band we started kicking around the name wax and then we did a gig people were really into it and it was a full reinvention for me because you know, I realized like no one knew who I was in LA. So like I could, you know, I could shed all the baggage of like whatever I, you know, was, you know, whatever I did, you know, want to deal with from being in San Jose. So like, I remember even like my hair, like I had, I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to start slicking back my hair and then I'm going to do this. And it just, it was just a full reinvention. And then when mm. Wax came out, it just, it just took off and it took off quick and we got signed and before we knew it, you know, we were, we were touring. And the thing that was great was I'd already had a background with being in a band for like, you know, when I was in my first band frontline, I was in that band for like seven years, six years. And we toured with, you know, like I said, we toured with verbal abuse. We had, you know, done so many shows. The dudes in wax had never done any of that. You know, they'd done shows, you know, they, they, they'd been in bands, but they'd never, you know, like when we got our band together, the first thing I was like, dude, we got to go to San Jose. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, my buddy, Corey O'Brien, he owns a club. Uh-huh. You know, so like I knew how to kind of, you know, I knew how to, you know, put out a seven inch. I knew how to like find gigs. I knew how to book, a, you know, book, book a run of dates. I knew how to get us a gig. Those dudes had done any of that, but what they brought to the table was like incredible songwriting skills, you know, like, uh-huh. like Soda, Loomis and Dave, they like each one of those dudes could be a front man in a band and they each knew how to write songs. And for me being a singer, they would bring the, they would, you know, they were like, I would write a lot of lyrics, but I also wasn't above, like if they wrote something that was killer, I'd be like, dude, I'll sing that. Like, you know, that's, that's killer. Sure. Let's do yeah. that. So we had this really amazing ability to like, you know, Booms would bring in an idea, you know, Soda would bring in an idea, i bring in an idea, or i bring in an idea. They'd write a song. You know, like in, in the early years, it was just like, we were writing force because no one had any ego. It was just like whatever made it sound better. Yeah. Do. It's more they, collaborative and less me, yeah. me, me. Yeah. And they were like, and the thing about those dudes, like the last thing I'll say too, is like, you know, I wasn't into the replacements. I wasn't really into soul asylum. I wasn't into, you know, those bands. Like they turned me on to all of those bands. They turned me mm. on to a lot of that stuff that I hadn't been into. Now on my end, I turned them on to Los Abidados. I turned them on to, you know, the more of the hardcore punk rock stuff. You know, I think the common ground that we had though as a band was like 
all four of us loved the clash. You know, like just, uh, that was a huge influence on us, but like, that you was our have to. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was wax. And then, you know, we, we did that. That was right around the time that, you know, um, wax was on one label and the, the deal fell through and we ended up getting dropped. And that was right around 94, 95, we got dropped. And that was right when I, when I kind of fell back on my Northern California independent, um, growing up in the Bay area, like, you know, hell we'll put out our own record. Fuck it. Like we don't need a label. And we ended up putting out, that's how I started side one dummy. You know, like I, I was like, well, they're like, dude, we're dropped. You know, we're, it's over. And I was like, no, man, like we, you know, let's do it ourselves. And we ended up putting out the 13 unluckies number record. And then that uh, ended up getting signed again to Interscope. And that was where it kind of all blew up because it was like, you know, at that point when we got re-signed, you know, Spike Jones, who was a dude that just, we skated with and we were bros with, and he always was there for us as a friend to collaborate with photography. And he was just yeah. a great friend at that point. Now his career had just exploded because he had done like the Weezer video. And I want to say the Beastie Boys video. And he was just huge. So that when our band got re-signed, Spike had always said, you know, when we were going through the, the lean times and when it was hard, when we weren't signed, he was like, Hey man, you know, if there's any way I can ever help you guys, you know, just say the words. So we got signed to Interscope first thing that we asked was like, Hey man, you know, would you do a video for us? And he's like, absolutely. And he was, that's how he shot the guy in fire video. Why did I move to Southern California? It's and blue. Someone should have warned you. They should have warned you. Yeah. And, and did that. And that was all. And once again, it was all connected through skating because yeah. You know, I didn't even know skate. I didn't even know that Spike was really like, I mean, I knew when I met him, he wasn't the big deal that, you know, he went on to become, but even when he was a big deal with, you know, taking photographs and, and doing all the things he did, he never carried himself that way. And mm-hmm. all I knew with him was there was this Arco across on Melrose Avenue. It's like Melrose and like Highland. There was an Arco station there. And I just remember going there to skate and we would skate that curve and talk and it was, and he was just skating there. Like, so, you know, we'd be like shooting the shit and then, Oh, Hey, Spike's here. And we'd just be skating this curve and, you know, just like, Oh, okay, cool. And then he lived over off of Melrose and our bass player lived with them and they were just, you know, they were just friends and, and all of a sudden he exploded and, um, and he definitely came through on his word and, you know, and, uh, and like, it was like Andy Jenkins, um, all those dudes from like dirt magazine, you know, all these, and all these other Chicago heads that were super, super cool, you know? And um, yeah, they were, they were just, there's so many of that Chicago crew that had so much to do with the success of wax. What's it like having Beavis and Butthead rocking out to your video? <laughs> Rad. Dude, that's like life hammer, right? Oh dude, I'm done. Like, like at this point, dude, if, if it all ends today, <laughs> Beavis and Butthead were into our videos so much that uh, I can't, I don't know if it's Beavis or Butthead, but one of them can't even talk because they like the video so much. He can't even control himself because he's so emotionally taken over by a dude running out. I mean, that's one of the best things ever. Like that's, that's one of the proudest moments I have. Like that's my little rock history moment right there. And is it true that the same video was banned in M- on MTV? It never got banned. No, no, no. no, what happened was this. Yeah, people always say it got banned. No, no, no. The thing that happened was 
Um, and it was a prelude to Jackass. So basically what ended up happening is when our video was shown on MTV, they had to do a thing before they showed the video saying, do not try this at home. This is a professional stuntman. This is not made, you know, don't, don't light yourself on fire. And then they would show the video, which, you know, in return only made the video that much more popular because people were like, what are we going to watch? Um, and then ultimately when Jackass came to MTV, they had to do the same thing. Like, look, man, these stunts that these guys are doing, do not do this at home. Right. Okay, so there was just a, a disclaimer. Yeah, it was a disclaimer before the video was played. And when did uh, Side One Dummy start? What year was that? We started in 95. Bill Armstrong and I, um, we were roommates in Los Angeles. I met him. Um, there was a, one of my first friends that I had in L.A. that I met after you know, I set up shop there. Um, me and this dude uh, had kind of jammed together. We became friends. He was a ripping guitar player and his, he, uh, it's funny because his name's Chris Shiflett and Chris, you know, when, you know, he's the guitar player of the Foo Fighters and him and I were roommates or him, he needed a roommate. And that's how like, he was like, dude, you know, we need a, we need a fourth guy for our pad. And back then it was like, yeah, no problem. And I was like, dude, I need a place to live. So I moved in with Chris. Chris introduced me to Bill Armstrong, Bill Armstrong and I ended up, just hitting it off because we were, you know, he was in his band. I was in my band. We were both the business guys. We would talk about music. We talked about records. Like once again, skateboarding, you know, he was from Santa Barbara. So he had a real connection with like Pal Peralta. And plus he had been a part of, um, he had been a part of all of the ASFO series because um, he, and it was funny, like we still joke around about it. His mom wouldn't let him skateboard, but she, she let him roller skate. So he was one of those dudes that was like rocking roller skates. And I, and as a kid growing up, I was like, dude, I remember Fred blood. And like, you know, we just kind of bonded over that. But the thing that he did, he had done that I had never done, you know, I, I never got a skate upland. I never got to be a part of the Astro series. So like he was so like all those, all of those parks in California, he actually skated and then, you know, we bonded over that. And then, you know, uh, obviously music, like our common ground was like, we both love Black Flag, but like he loved Van Halen. I love the Ramones. It was just like, you know, so we, we definitely had a common bond mm. over music. And then we basically in 95 started the company together with like five grand. And we released uh, our first release we ever put out together was Swinging Utters, More Scared. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I had grown up with uh, Johnny Bennell and Kevin Wickersham in Santa Cruz. We all Santa went to, yeah, we all went to Good Shepherd, uh, Good Shepherd together, and like uh-huh. we went there from first to like eighth grade. So then when they started their band, Swinging Utters, um, they were looking for a home. It was before Fat. It was before New Red Archives. They had this collection of music, and they were like, "Look, man, you know, we should want to put this out." And that was the first record that we ever put out, and then it was you know that was the starting. So I always say like. You know, for your first album to be by Swinging Utters, I, I, I at the time I didn't know, but now I look back and I go, "Wow!" Little did we know that you know we end up. That's a definitely a great start. You know, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. The last music related thing I wanted to say is we have this little debate going with me and all my friends, and I usually talk to people that have good music backgrounds about this. We we started it off with the greatest American. Um, rock band of all time and somehow 
it just became kind of obvious that it seemed like it had to be Aerosmith. And it was like, I don't really, I don't back Aerosmith that much, but they're undoubtedly this band that's won lots of things. They have a huge catalog. So we changed. I was like, let's do punk rock because that's more our thing anyway. And we kind of have it in our heads. It's Ramones versus Black Flag versus Bad Brains. And then there's this band called Devo. And is Devo really punk? And if they are, are they hands down? Or is it the Ramones because they're the Ramones? Or is it because Black Flag and how instrumental they were in like touring? And Definitely for me, you know, if you're going to say, you know, punk band for, you know, America, it, you know, you can't, you can't not, in my opinion, say it's not the Ramones because, you know, the Ramones for me are the, the band that all of us got excited about, you know, and it's, if you talk to people like, you know, with Black Flag and you talk to you know, if you talk to Keith Morris and Circle Drive, all that stuff, they're all going to bring up, yeah, you know, they all went and saw the Ramones, you know, that, that was the first band for them. Um, in that first wave, you know, I'm definitely going to say, for me, it's, it's the Ramones in America. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to the second wave and you got Flag and then you got, you know, you got bands like The Germs, you know, and, and you got bands like Circle Jerks, you know, like then all of a sudden, I think that just goes into like opinion, you know, it's like obviously mm-hmm. the importance of Black Flag, like is so, so important and it's such a huge foundation, you know, but then someone like myself, I'm a Circle Jerks fan, like that to me, I love Black Flag, I love when, I love when Keith Moore sang for Black Flag. I also love when, you know, Ron Ray, you know, when Ron sang for Black Flag. Like, I love all that. I don't know what it is. It might be my skateboarding background, but there's just something about that first record from the Circle Jerks that to me is just from beginning to end is perfection. The lyrics, Keith Morris's attitude. I just, I love, and I love the fact that the way they look, I mean, I don't know, maybe it has to do with the fact that that original photo is at Marina Skate Park, I think, and they're all in the keyhole, you know, you know, and it's like, I don't know. It's just, I love that record. But yeah, I would agree with you. I would, I would definitely say the Ramones for like American mm-hmm. punk rock band. Absolutely. And then, the, yeah. and then if you were to say like the work ethic and they do DIY black flag, definitely like that. I, I mean, I remember when I read get in the van, like, like when I read that for the first time, it was just like, game changer like it just inspired me on so many levels and again not being the old guy but like before social media being able to find like oh we're going to memphis never been there but we're gonna play a show and it's gonna rule yeah (laughs) but how about this we're gonna i I would say this dude we're gonna play a show and it might not rule you know what i'm saying it's like i think because i know this from when i just know this from right i remember going on tour like i was telling i was telling someone recently they were like you know i totally say yeah the first tour i ever went on we left for a month and when we left we probably had you know 20 22 23 shows right and we only got to play probably 10 of them and and she was like what happened i go oh they just got canceled she's like what do you mean they got canceled? I go, yeah, it was so standard that you'd be, you'd be, you know, you had a phone number, you'd be driving to Dallas all day. You get to Dallas and then promote, oh, dude, last night, it was always someone got stabbed. Dude, someone got stabbed, show's yeah. over. And you're like, what do we do? And then the promoter, like, you guys can stay here. We'll, you know, and then we'll do a party here, a house party. And you'd be like, and you were just like, okay, so we're still going to get a play? Yeah. In this living room first? Yeah. Okay, cool. Got it. I remember once, the adolescence 
adolescence, verbal abuse, and frontline all drove to do a show in Reno. And I remember Steve Youth from Seven Seconds lived in Reno at that point. And we show up to the event. We show up. And from the moment we get there, Steve Youth's like, dude, the guy that you guys are working with, it, I don't know, man, but it's like word has it there's no venue or whatever. So you got the adolescents, verbal abuse, and frontline all hanging out. And then I remember it was just, you know, it wasn't like, okay, let's leave and go home. It was like, we found out like these kids were like having a party or something. And we're like, okay, we go there. And then all of a sudden you got, you know, these three bands hanging out, drinking beers and everyone's just like, just okay. You know, just business as usual, you know, like it, that was just part of it. No one crumbed. I mean, we were bummed. We didn't get to play, but no one, it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. It was just like, okay, still hanging out. You're still hanging out with like-minded people. This is cool. Right. Do you want to take a quick piss break or anything? Dude, if I could take a piss break, that would rule. Yeah, we right back. Okay. Tickety tack on down to bloodwizard.com where we have all of your conjuring needs. I got some grip tape I need to return, and there's something wrong with this board I bought. I can't ollie on it. The thing won't ollie. Can't get off the fucking ground on this thing. I want a fucking refund. Ignition Skate Shop, 420 West Grant Street, Lancaster, PA. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. You know, I was just going to say, I was when we were talking here, I have this, I should show you this one photo that I always loved. I think you might be able to see this on there. Okay, so here I'm going to Bring it up. Yeah, right there. Okay, uh-huh. how's that? Okay, so see that photo right there? Yeah. Okay, so that's the on-Broadway night. That's the night that Agent Orange came. And Whoa. if you see, but see see this dude right there? See where my finger is? Yeah. That's MoFo. Sick. So you can see MoFo right up front. That's Damn. the on-Broadway, um, probably 1982. And yeah. then, then, like, in the background is just there I am. With, oh fuck how yeah, rad yeah there i am with my bros that's and, uh, so yeah. sick the thing too man for me like you said don't want to be old guy but like i don't know at this point like i don't make any i don't try to you know hide the fact i'm a 54 year old guy the thing i think i think though that's important is i'm 54 years old but like you know i don't want i don't think young people are lame like like you know i, I don't want to be one of those guys like you know, and I hear a lot of my, you know, I hear some of my friends, you know, they bag on music and they bag on like young kids and stuff, but it's just like, you know, like the stuff that my son listens to, the stuff that my daughter's into, like, I know that it's doing a good job because it bums me out. Do you know what I'm saying? It really bums me out. Like the music my daughter and son are into bums me out. And when I get pissed, I'm like, wow, awesome. Okay, yeah, I'm not supposed to like this. Like, yeah, it's oh my god! Like, and I turned into this. Like, you know, it's like when I was a kid growing up, it was you know, bleach blonde hair, bondage belt, middle fingers. You know, like I saw this video clip a while ago, and I posted on my Instagram. It's just me. Like, uh, we were opening up for the Exploited, and I'm like, I'm 20 years old or 21, and and I'm saying this, dude. I'm saying. I sound like such an idiot. I'm like, bro, we don't even care, dude. Summertime, we don't work. We just drink. Like, those are words coming out of my mouth. Yeah. And then, and I'm like, you know, dude, we're hanging with the exploited. And they're like, totally cool. They offered us beers. And we are like, what's up? Like, I sound like such a warm. But like, that would, like, my dad, who was an, he's an English professor, has a PhD, 
link, he studies language. Like he's made, he has, he's taught all over the world. And I, that's his son. That just sounds so stupid. And, and, and the fact that my dad didn't just punch me in the head every single day. And he was like, all right, you know, it makes me realize with my kids, like whatever they're into and like the music my son listens to. And I, I and I'm just like, you know, really is these lyrics. Oh my God, this is so, okay. All right. I got it. Like it bums me out so much that I realized at a certain point it should bum me out because that's what they're supposed to do. You're not supposed mm. to listen to music that stokes your parents. You know, you're supposed to listen to music, like whatever it is that bums me out. And it's like, they're doing a great job. <laughs> mm. You know, and I don't want to be one of those guys that crumbs on youth, you know? Well, that's, I mean, hypocrisy is hypocrisy is kind of one of my pet peeves and we're all hypocrites to some degree, but like, I really try hard not to be because I, I hate, that's one of the things I don't like. Um, and one of the biggest things when I was growing up was I don't want to ever be the guy that's like, back in my day, all this new shit sucks. I blah, blah, blah. And it's like, the older you get, you kind of understand because you do have those feelings come in. Dude, so what you need to do is filter them and try to just be like, yeah, but there's probably some reason. Dude, I have those feelings all the time. I Dude, I've already said that recently I was like, I, I, dude, I don't even want to hear loud music. I don't want to hear anything loud. Like the other day I went to a hotel and we're hanging out. I'm like, this hotel sucks. And, and, and my girlfriend's like, why? And I'm like, because I want to go to a hotel where everyone's 40 and over. I don't want yeah. anyone raging. I don't want anyone playing loud music. Like I, like I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. So get me out of the picture. Like it's not <laughs> young people. It's I'm the problem. I, I don't want it to yeah. be loud. I want it to be quiet. I want people, I don't need people raging. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I've realized that, you know, now, you know, when, like, you know, I remember one time, uh, Matt Hensley, he got inducted to the uh, skateboarding hall of fame. You know, and I'm, and I'm, he's one of my, you know, really, he's, you know, I worked with him forever with Flying and Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, you know, that was the biggest, one of the biggest bands we ever signed on Sidewalk Dummy. So like my hit, my history with the band is huge. My history with Matt Hensley is huge. I love him as a skater. I love him as a human being. I just love everything Epic about him. So dude. Yeah. yeah. So I go to the, I get him. He says, Hey Joe, I can only invite a few people. I'd like to invite you to my induct into the skating, you know, or not the skating hall of fame. What was the thing that Transworld did? That thing. It wasn't thought. Oh, it was like Transworld Awards. Transworld Awards, something like that. So it wasn't uh-huh. the skateboarding hall of fame. Okay. It was like it was like he Transworld gets to pick like he might have got team. like best street skater or best video part of the year or something. Yeah, or it was no, but it was like it was a legacy award. Like before oh, it was Dwayne, legend. and then before yeah, it was a legend thing. But dude, I go to this award ceremony in L.A. And I walk in and, and dude, that's when I knew I was, that's when I knew I was done. Everyone in there is just forties smoking weed, just raging. No different than what we would have done back in the day. If I was invited to the Thrasher award, I remember every year I'd want to be invited to that award ceremony they did in San Francisco. (laughs) And I see the photos and people are just raging. And I was like, Oh my God, I want to be a part of it. But now all of a sudden, you know, as a 40 year old man, Mm-hmm. I'm there and I'm like, I want to hear my friends speak and they're talking over him. And it was just, I realized I was like, Oh my God, I love skateboarding because it just evolves in, you know, it's, it's such a, it's, it's this, you know, it's a, it's, it's all different faces, but the real core of who 
the, we are as skaters, it, it, we're all cut from the same cloth, you know? It's just like, you, you know, like I might not know this, the new, you know, I watch all these kids on, you know, I, on Instagram, I got Indy, you know, you know, I watch all the, I watch all the clips and it's just like the stuff they're doing, you know, I'm like, dude, I mean, you know, you're old when you're like, you just want to say, you're going to blow your knee out doing that. Like none yeah. of these guys have had, uh, you know, knee replacement surgeries. Like until you have bolts in your knee and you've blown out your ACL, you're like, dude, what are you doing on that rail right now? You're going to hurt yourself. Like, you know, that's my favorite thing. I always go, I always, I skate for two hours and no matter how good I feel at the end of that two hours, I always stop because I've always taken the slam in that third hour. Always. It's always like, dude, I feel so good. This is great. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. oh my God. You know? yeah. and, and dude, when you slam in front of a group of people, you got to walk it out. Like, dude, I'm fine. Then you get in your Prius and you're like, oh my God, I can't feel my arms. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, oh man. So when you, when you're, uh, front man for the band the guitar yeah. the guitarist breaks his strings the amp goes out there's some malfunction are you the guy that's trying to fill the time with some jokes and that's no. how you, you get to become a, how does the stand-up start the stand-up starts because i the stand-up starts because from the time i was a little kid i just i just made people like i knew like i would cover up um probably like anything in my life that I wasn't good at, or if I was in class or I was just that kid that used comedy to diffuse a situation, you know, like if it was a situation in the classroom, if it was, you know, if there, if we're on the playground, if I was at the skate park, you know, I always deferred to joking around as like a go-to. And it was just, I think it was just more, it yeah. wasn't, it was just, a, it was just a characteristic of me. Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, like, like I think when I was growing up, you know, even when I sang in a band, like I was a full punker and I was you know, taking it all seriously or whatever. But even like, you know, I, I would joke around and, mm. and but I never I never thought like, oh, I'm going to do comedy. Like I never that was nothing I was going to do. And it's funny because when I moved to L.A., when I first moved to L.A., when I was 23 years old, I was at a party and I was just getting to know people. And obviously I was joking around and I was doing this, and doing that, and doing this. And this and this group of people, they're like, oh, man yeah, we want to come see you perform. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, aren't you a comedian? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, we thought you were a comedian. And I, was, and I remember in the back of my mind, I'm like, wow, like that'd be cool. And then I remember I went when I was 23 to the comedy store and um, I they had, you know, they had the potluck on a Sunday. They still have it to this day. And I signed up and I got up on stage and I did stand up. And um, I mean, you know, to say that I was the first time that was, but you know, it's funny. I was 23 years old. And I got yeah, up there and I did it, but I wasn't into it. I was like, eh, you know, it's not my thing. Like I didn't, I didn't get bit by the bug. Probably the reason I didn't get bit by the bug was because I didn't get any laughs. So I was like, eh, I'm out of here. I had, you know, for 23 till, until I actually started doing stand up. And I didn't start doing stand up till I was 40. So mm -hmm. it was like, you know, like it had been a long time, you know? And then even when I started doing it at 40, I wasn't doing stand up. I was doing spoken word. I wrote this one man show that was called California Calling. And it was all about, you know, the day that my dad took me to Winchester Skateboard Park, December 27th, 1981, and how that day changed the projection of my life. Because he took me to the skateboard park. I didn't want to go. I had a bull haircut, a turtleneck on. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about skating. I just, I love the sport, but all of a sudden I'm at Winchester Skateboard Park. There's all these kids skating. And my dad's like, hey man, I want to take you into the park. 
and I didn't want to go. And I remember he said, you know, if you can go and at least give it a shot for like 15 minutes, then I won't ever ask you again about it, but just go in there for 15 minutes and tell me, you know, just, just give it a shot. And I remember I wouldn't get out of the car and I was embarrassed. And then finally, like I got out and I remember I went to the park and I skated for 15 minutes. And I always say those 15 minutes turned into a lifetime. Like if he hadn't pushed me to go in there, I wouldn't be doing your podcast right now. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be living in, I wouldn't have started Sidewind W Records. There wouldn't be a wax. There wouldn't be anything in my life because that, that moment, December 27th, 1981, when he took me to skateboard park, that was where I heard that Buzzcock song. That was where I, you know, I met Buddy Peterson. That is where I saw Steve Cavallaro. That was where it was like everything that really changed my life was from that particular day, like down to that day, up until that moment. You know, I was one dude. The moment I walked through those doors, it just turned me on to so much creativity and ideas and music right. and everything that changed my life. Were you already like in your up until you were 40? Had you been a comedy club enthusiast? I was, you know what, man? I mean, like, would you go, would you like Richard Pryor? Like, no, you Chris know what? Coming, I got to see no, him. Did you no, do that nothing. no, I wasn't, you know, for me. Like, so here was like, as far as it goes with comedy, like comedy was always a part of my life through my father. Like my dad was into Saturday Night Live. He would let me stay up late at night and watch Saturday Night Live. He was into Mm -hmm. Monty Python, Flying Circus. He would let me stay up and watch that. You know, he turned me on to Benny Hill. He, you know, Uh he had, he loved comedy. Um, So when I'm a little boy, I'm hanging out with him, living in, you know, visiting him on the weekends. He was like, oh, dude, you got to watch Saturday Night Live. So I saw that, you know, I obviously saw that, you know, that first era. Um, and then, then as far as it went with com- comedians, you know, uh, it was definitely George Carlin. It was definitely some Richard Pryor. It was definitely some, um, you know, Flip Wilson, definitely some Bill Cosby. All of that, you know, was a part of my life. My dad had a record collection and in that record collection were all of those comedy records. So as a little boy, I would put on George Carlin live from the Santa Monica Civic and go, oh my gosh, like check this dude out. But I never, like when I moved to L.A., I drove by the comedy store and the Melrose improv a million times, a million times. And the only, the first time I ever went into the Melrose improv, uh, you know, right there in Hollywood was the first time I was performing there. Like I walked, you know, dude, the, the comedy store, I, you know, I've been doing shows at the house of blues, the Roxy, um, billboard, you know, all those venues. And I never went into the comedy store until the first time I performed in there. So comedy was definitely not on my radar in the sense of like, Hey man, let's go see this comic. Let's go do this. It was, it was just, I was a music guy. I was a singer in a band. And I remember though going by, but every time, you know, I, you know, in Hollywood, you know, you can't, you know, back then you couldn't drive around and not past the comedy store, you know, obviously you could pass, you know, you'd see the Melrose Improv um, or the Laugh Factory. But I, I remember just like in the back of my mind, you know, on the, you know, I'd always be like, oh, well, you know, like, I, not that like I was thinking someday I'm going to perform there, but I was just like, it just didn't, it wasn't part of my journey at that point. So then when I had a, when I was doing the California Calling show, the, the woman who was booking the improv was, was, I don't want to say she was a kid, but she was a fan of Sideline Dummy. And oh. she was a fan of some of the bands. And she said, hey, I saw your show. And I was like, oh, really? And she's like, would you want to do it at the Improv? And I was like, yeah, that could be cool. So then I did the show at the Improv. It sold out. It was great. And then oh. she said, hey, you know, 
what you do in an hour. That's awesome. You know, would you ever want to try to do stand up? And I was like, and I was like, well, I don't know, man. She's like, you know, you know, you come back, you know, I put you on stage for like seven minutes, you know, you come, and I was like seven minutes. Like, how do you even get, how can you be funny in seven minutes? You know, <laughs> like I, I can do an hour, but like, how could you, you know, how could you make it work in seven minutes? And, um, and she ended up giving me my first spot. She's like, come back, you know, and like, let's see, you know, let's see what happens. So, you know, I went up and I remember, you know, it, it, it definitely was an eye-opening experience because, you know, I, I got a couple laughs, but the idea of like writing jokes and like, you know, being funny in that short amount of time, I was like, it just seemed like it was no different than like, you know, watching, you know, Lance Mountain or Cab or any of those guys, it, you know, them drop into the ramp. And just You're like, how? Like, dude, I'm never going to be able to do that. But the mm -hmm. only thing that I wanted to do was at that point, I was like 40. Simon Downey was up and running and had been around for a while. So like we were doing really, really well. All the guys that I'd grown up playing music, you know, I wasn't in 22 Jacks anymore. You know, I had my second kid. And all of a sudden, I just realized, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to get back on stage because that's the reason I'm doing it. You know, like, I didn't start side one. I didn't want to be like a record company guy only. Like, I always was on stage since I was a little kid. You know, I was, I was doing magic at 10 years old, you know, in Santa yeah. Like, I love being on stage. But I hadn't figured out a way to get back on stage. And I didn't want to be the acoustic guitar guy. And when you're the singer in a band, no one's calling you up to jam. It's like, you're the vibe of the band. Right. So I, I was like, all right, what am I going to do? And that all that really I thought about, dude, was I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just like, I'm just going to try to be a comic that it, it, all I want to be is this. It's just like skating. I just wanted to be a part of the session. And when I dropped in, I didn't stand out that I sucked so bad that I didn't belong there. That's all I wanted it to be. So like if you're on the ramp and it's like all these, you know, heavies and all of a yeah. sudden, you know, I drop in, I do a frontside grind, maybe a little backside air sweeper. Okay. Axle stall. And then, you know, one more 50, 50. And then I pop out that no one on the ramp or someone watching goes, dude, why is that guy here? Yeah. That's all I wanted to be as a comic. I just wanted to be that if like, if a, if a comic like you knew went up on stage, like, let's say you're like, oh my gosh, you know, back then when I started, it was like, it was all these heavies, like Dane Cook, Sarah Silverman, you know, Pat Oswalt, you know, yeah. Whitney Cummings. And like, there's all these people. The worst place to ever start is in Hollywood because you get on these lineups with these fucking amazing right. comics. And it's pretty obvious that you're not amazing. So all I did was I just worked as much as I could and watched and I listened and I just studied it was right when Dave Chappelle came back. So I was on a ton of shows at the Laugh Factory where, you know, I was the host and I got to bring him up and I just get to sit there and watch him. And uh, it was when, it was when, you know, Bill Burr and all those guys were just there, you know, and I was just watching and I was learning Eric Griffin, you know, all of those guys. And I was able to like really sit there and watch Eliza Schlesinger. I mean, I, I, I was right there before a lot. Now Eliza's movies, I was, you know, watching her holding her dog when she would do sets and she was super cool. And, and like to see her have the success she has, is awesome. But like, I, I really think being that in that moment, I had a sink or swim attitude because I was like, dude, either you got to be funny or this ain't going to work. But I also had nothing to lose. So I was like, fuck it. And I remember I just started writing more and more and more. And then I started getting laughs. And then all I ever wanted to be was just a comic that had, a, if you had to go up on a lineup like that, it like they didn't know who you were, but at least you kept the room laughing and you kept the room going. And then, that that started to happen more frequently and um, and i was super fortunate because even when i started like 
I had the experience of being on stage as a singer. So like, I never had to learn, like, you know, I never had to learn how to be on stage. You know, like I had to write material, but I never had to learn like, Oh God, how do you hold the microphone? How do you talk into it? How do you deal with an audience? You know, like I remember one time I did a show and this, this guy was like, I was, you know, I've told the story before with this, this guy said to me like, he was trying, he was getting in my head before I went on stage at the Hollywood improv. He's like, man, I don't even know, dude. Are you sure you're ready to go up there? And I go, yeah. He goes, I don't know, man. I've seen comics die on that stage. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, man. You better be careful while you're up there, man. I've seen comics die in that room. I go, hey, dude, how about this? Are there skinheads in the room? He goes, what? I go, are there skinheads with knives? He goes, skinheads with knives? I go, are those skinheads going to come on stage, drag me off of the stage to the back of the room, and then start jumping on my head? He goes, no, there's nothing like that. And I go, I'm fine then. Cause that's what I'm used to. That happened to me at the farm. Like I'm used to people that if they're not into what I'm into, they physically grab me and take me away. <laughs> yeah. He's like, fuck. And I'm like, yeah, is anyone going to do that? He goes, no, and I'm all right. I'll be fine. Like, good. Yeah. As long as, you know, as long as there's not a threat of physical violence, then I'm okay. If it's people like give me the finger. Okay, cool. You don't like me. Awesome. Yeah. But like, you know, I think growing up in the era that I did, you got to have a thick skin because if people didn't like your band, they not only told you they didn't like your band, but they physically told you they didn't like your band. I remember the first time I ever played Fender's ballroom with the adolescents, Steve Soto told me, um, he said, Hey man, you know, super stoked to have you on this show. He goes, Hey, before, before you guys play, you can walk around the audience, do whatever you want. But you know, after you play, you can no longer go in the audience. And I was like, why? He's like, cause there's going to be a lot of people that probably will like your band, but there's going to be a lot of people that don't and they will fucking tell you. And I was like, Holy shit. You know, like, wow. Okay. And that's just the way it was. So, you know, for stand up, I felt like I definitely, uh, I was, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a lot to lose. Sure. Well, what's some, what are you struggling with in 2021? Anything that like, you're like, constantly just like teetering on or like that you're just i don't really get this or i mean for me now i would say you know and you know i'm i would say i don't don't know if there would be struggles you know i would just say that in 2021 um i'm trying I'm, i'm trying to have the best uh outlook and really live uh with a day to day attitude really try to be more in the moment and really try to enjoy um, everything that's a, that's around us and enjoy it and try to really enjoy the moment because the, mm. the biggest thing I learned from, you know, the pandemic and the biggest thing I've learned over the last couple of years is that things change quick and you can really worry about a lot of stuff that you think is important. And I learned that a lot of those things aren't important. And what's important wow. to me is it's less about living in the future and, le- and more about being in the moment and really taking that into consideration and, and trying to, to take what's right in front of me and enjoy that and, and drop into that moment. No different than like, you know, it, it's like we all, me and my buddy have this joke about, uh, we were watching this video a while ago and there was this skater and, um, in we were, we were, he's, he, he, he was, I forgot what video it was, but he drops in, he does this, uh, front side grind and he's coming down the pool and he's about to, you know, hit the next wall and his back truck slides out from him and he takes this huge slam 
and he's a bigger dude, right? And me and my bro watched that video because it was, it, we started laughing because the slam he took, it, it, we said in our theory, was like, he went up, he did the frontside grind. And when he does this frontside grind, the crowd hollers like, yeah. And he's, and you can tell it stokes him out. And what is he doing? Instead of like, all right, man, I still got to come down from this frontside grind. He's already looking at the next wall of like, oh, dude, you think that little frontside, you know, slasher uh-huh. grind was rad. Wait till you Wait see till, yeah. what this 40 something year old guy is going to do on this next wall. And he was already <laughs> looking at the next wall and then he slammed. And right. me and my best friend, we have this theory that like, you got to go through life, you know, staying in the moment because if you start looking at the next wall, that's where the slam happens. And I've mm-hmm. realized that more and more as I get older is that sometimes, sometimes when you're looking ahead, like, Oh, you think that's rad. Wait till you see this maneuver. You think that's happening. Wait till you see this. And you're, you're coming down, you know, the transition and you're, you're, you're so focused on the next thing that you're going to do. You're already visualizing it, that that's where you make that mistake and, and your truck slides out or you, you know, you hit a wheel bite, some ra- it's always the random thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. always, it's always like you hear about these skaters, whether it's cab or, you know, like, look at that slam the cab took a while ago on his Instagram, you know, he, he went up and he, and he, and he, I forgot what he was doing. He was doing a, he's done it a million times where he does like a backside, um, backside grind and he's kind of on his back truck. And then he, he comes back in and his, and he, and his, his wheels slid out from underneath him and he took a slam and hit himself in the face. You know, it was, it was gnarly. And I was like, that's how quick it happens. You know, it's like, you, it's like skateboarding is such a, a great analogy for life because it's like, you have to have balance, you know, balance is, it's in surfing, it's in skating. For sure. You really have to, you have to have that balance between, you know, being in the moment, thinking of the future. But for me, it's, it's like, it's really trying to focus in 2021 to be in the moment, you know, to, to be in this podcast with you, to, to mm-hmm. think about what I'm going to say, you know, and really hopefully the people that listen go, okay, cool. I walked away with something more than just, right. you know, I heard some dude talk and it was cool. Yeah. yeah. Are you, do you do TM transcendental meditation? You know what? Um, I've never done it, but I have a few friends that do it and they love it. Yeah. Um, the, the meditation I've done is just been um, the meditation that I've learned over the years. Uh, I, like I try to focus on the moment. Totally. Well, everyone that I've known that's ever done TM is just, they've just told me it's amazing. Life-changing. Yeah. 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 And everything I've read about it is, right. is amazing. Huh. Well, cool. I'm super stoked to take this time. Um, Dude, thank you so much for having we me. We always end the show with a song. Um, what, what, uh, I should have gave you a heads up because I, I know of myself, I'd be like, one wait what but uh do you got a song you'd want to put on the uh, jukebox right now as oh we absolutely were... dude uh i would put on uh i would put on i'm telling you right now it's gonna be los avidados and it's gonna be huh. it's gonna be los avidados because we talked about it it's either gonna be los avidados listen to you or something new you make the call should we end with the benefit of ironing shirts I love ironing shirts. <laughs> What's the benefit? Dude, because like when you, I've always ironed shirts. There's photos of me ironing every, like I remember my mom got me an ironing, like an iron to take on the road when I was a kid. When I was in wax, dude, I ironed, I used to iron like pool tables. I, when I mean this t-shirt, right? Yeah, I iron t-shirts, dude. I, I like, It's funny you bring that up. I, I like, I've been on the road and someone's like, are you ironing your t-shirt? And I'm like, absolutely. 
<laughs> I love irony t-shirts. Are, are, are you kind of like a wrinkle? Is it going to drive you crazy? Dude, wrinkle's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> Dude, before we did this interview, before we did this podcast, I changed my shirt like four times before I settled on this shirt. I'm like, I got to have the right shirt. Okay. Right. And when you came on, I was like, dude, the Pendleton this guy has on rules. <laughs> and you got well, the Giants hat on, can't go wrong. If you ever come to SF, I'll probably hear about it, but let me know. I would dude, love I to definitely see let you know because I'll be back. Uh, Punchline or punch something, line. maybe? Punchline yeah. for sure. And if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram, it's just Joe underscore Sid. Okay. Dude, Talk thank you. you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. Okay. Have a good Later, one. brother. Later. God damn it! Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free. But if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. 
Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.